Everyone has gigs where things go wrong. For most of us, it's probably every gig. I mean, who gets through one set, let alone two or three, without flubbing a note, rushing a beat, or stomping on the wrong pedal? Even bona fide guitar gods aren't immune. But as long as you have a good time, keep building your following, and maybe make a few bucks, who cares? That said, we've all heard tales of legendary gigs from hell. Embarrassments so colossal they probably made the players want to crawl into their road cases and close the lid for the night. And the thing is, the more you perform, the more likely you are to have one of these nightmare gigs. Why else would so many notable players say they couldn't even laugh the first time they saw This Is Spinal Tap? It just hit too close to home. The closest I've personally come to one of these gigs from hell was when I was 16 and playing with a band called Slinky Fink that played Jane's Addiction, Chili Pepper, and Living Color covers mixed in with our own funk rock originals. The gig in question happened in the summer of 1988, and it was in a pretty decent-sized room at a talent agency on the second floor of a large, hundred-year-old building in downtown Provo, Utah. Now, unless you grew up in Utah, or happened to find yourself passing through there one time or another, your conception of the place is probably mostly informed by jokes from South Park, sister-wife stories from Big Love, or ridiculously upbeat caricatures from the Book of Mormon musical all of which are obviously pretty over the top, yet they're still very pregnant with truth. Pun intended. Pretty much everyone I've ever met who's been through my home state brings up three things. Mormonism, all the kids everyone has, and the state's draconian and flat-out stupid liquor laws. Now, the liquor laws are better now than they used to be, but not by much. But that really didn't matter to me when I was 16, especially as a teetotaling member of the predominant religion there in Provo. See, this goody two-shoes town about an hour south of Salt Lake City is the heart of a large, mountain-enclosed area often referred to by other Utahns as Happy Valley. Life in Happy Valley is basically what inspired the sickeningly sweet personalities in the Book of Mormon musical. You'd be hard-pressed to find another town that has fewer bars than an average New York City block despite having more than 30,000 university students. And like I said before, there aren't just a lot of college kids. There are teens, tweens, and toddlers literally everywhere. Which is why, at least in 88, Happy Valley had more all-ages venues than bars. What's more, you could basically count the bars and the all-ages venues on one hand, maybe two. Anyway, back to the gig. Slinky Fink was the second to last act on a bill of four or five bands playing on a hot, arid summer night right before a band called Face that had been together longer and had a bigger following. For some reason, I remember that I wore a Simpsons t-shirt. That was the year the show came out, and back then, having a morbidly dysfunctional family on TV was actually new and shocking. I also remember my guitar rig, and in retrospect, it was a complete travesty. <laughs> a product of the 80s preoccupation with cheap new digital technology and pointy guitars with abusable whammy bars. 
I ran a top-of-the-line Kramer Stage Master Custom into an ADA programmable tube preamp driving a Digitech DSP-128 effects rack and then a solid-state Roland JC-120 amp. Yeah, I know. Ridiculous is just one of many words for that. So let's just move on. Anyway, besides Face, Slinky Fink was probably the most prolific originals band in Happy Valley. Given the barrenness of the scene at the time, that's probably not saying much, but we were still good. Good enough to pretty much pack the place during our set. There had to be at least 150 or 200 people there. And not everyone was there to see us, but judging by the lack of booing and the general state of moshing going on during our set, we made a pretty good impression. But things took a turn for the worse a couple of songs after we wrapped our set. Face had taken the stage and their fans were getting pretty wild. And what happened next can only be explained by backing up to talk about another phenomenon. There was a fairly strong ska movement on the Utah scene around that time, and although I don't remember if Face actually had any ska tunes, I do remember that whenever a band busted into a group that was even remotely ska-like, crowds would jump up and down in unison. It looked about as ridiculous as my guitar rig. Like everyone had come to the gig with a pogo stick or something. Anyway, you'll remember I said this quote-unquote venue, for lack of a better term, was on the second floor of a historic old building. Yeah, emphasis on old. The talent agency may have done some renovations to make the place look new and cutting edge to people dreaming of becoming a Sears catalog model, or maybe the next sibling on family ties, but the skeleton of the building was still a century or more old. I remember standing toward the back of the room. Maybe I'd just gotten a drink or used the restroom, or maybe I was just back there because being away from the writhing crowd was the one place you could actually feel the feeble air conditioning. It also happened to be the place where you got the first view of cops rushing through the front door, cutting the power, and screaming at everyone to get the heck out of there. See, downstairs was a restaurant where, despite the late hour, a lot of people were still hungry. And they were hungry not just for food, but also for the luxury of dining without being crushed by sweaty teens. And at least according to the cops, all that pogo action was causing the restaurant's ceiling to visibly ripple under the crowd's weight. So we had to go. Face was pissed, of course, as were all the kids who got booted from the building. I felt bad too, but at least we'd finished our set. Plus, I got a good story out of it. You're listening to Conversations in the Key of Life, the premier guitar podcast that talks to you about your musical journeys. So, like I said, I got a pretty good story out of my most disastrous gig, but when we put word out on social media asking for your gig from Hell Stories, we got a lot. And a decent number of them made my own story pale in comparison. Our first one comes from PG reader Nate Curiel from San Juan Capistrano, California. Back in 2014, Nate was playing his first gig ever with his first band ever. They were called End of the Line, and they had rather ambitiously agreed to play all night at a bar called Knuckleheads in San Clemente. According to Nate, they somehow pulled it off, but they also met their match in a drunken patron who took heckling to a nasty new low. Knuckleheads is a little little dive bar. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> it gets all sorts of types of people. I mean, it gets it gets the biker kind of crowd, and it also attracts a lot of those just 
white trash beach bum type people. No offense to to them, but <laughs> it get it just just a pretty wide type of people. And we somehow got lucky, you know. After calling around all these places, we got lucky enough to to land this gig at Knuckleheads, and the guy was nice enough to let us play. And he's like, "Can you play for three hours?" And we're like. Okay. <laughs> How many songs did you have? Of our own, we had maybe eight. And we figured, oh, well, we'll just open for someone. You know, we'll play half an hour. And he's like, oh, no, well, we just do three-hour gigs here. So is that cool with you guys? And we're, we just were like, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. And we had to learn, <laughs> I don't know, two and a half hours of, of covers and back catalog in the month and a half or two-month span that we had notice. Oh, wow. Okay, so you had a decent lead time at least. Yeah, we had a, we had a good amount of time. And I mean... We played a lot of classic rock covers that night, which was good, and our own stuff. And we ended up playing. We had a lot of friends and family there, which is cool. We actually had a really great turnout. Surprisingly, the whole room was was pretty full, and it was neat to see people moving and dancing to the music. And like when we threw in our own songs, people were pretty receptive to them, which was neat. And this one woman in particular, we noticed kind of take a swift decline just throughout the night like she started off just smiling and dancing and singing and then i don't know by set two she started slowly swaying to the music and then by the end of our second set she was just sitting still at attention in her chair just staring and like barely nodding her head and we're like oh something's wrong with this woman she's messed up <laughs> did you say right in front of the stage it was like off to the side if like if you're if i'm on the stage it was like Right off to my right, uh-huh. and then off, right next to her was the entrance to the men's bathroom. It was kind of a weird layout situation, but she was sitting at attention off the side of, of the stage, but she was like full view of us. And just staring at you. Just staring, and like every now and then when we play a cover song, like like a CCR cover or something, she would like mouth the words. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it was like completely off time, and it was like ridiculous. <laughs> now, you said you guys had about eight originals, and then you filled the remainder of your two, two-and-a-half-hour um, gig with cover songs. And were you interspersing the cover songs with the originals? Or Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were, we were doing like three or four covers, and then we'd throw an original in there and then just kind of alternate until we ran out of our own songs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she was a classic rock fan because she was poorly mouthing uh, Credence. Uh, how did she react to your songs? She seemed to have liked them. Did she mouth those words? <laughs> yeah, right? How do you know our stuff? <laughs> so then what? So we actually made it through the night pretty well. Like we, It was the first gig, so obviously <laughs> it wasn't perfect by any means. But we, we played through it. We had a great reception. Towards the end of the night, we had about two songs left. And... I just thanked the crowd. I was like, thanks, guys, so much for coming out. I really appreciate you, blah, blah, blah. We have a couple more for you. And then this lady, the lady sitting off the stage, she just yells. She goes, you said you had a couple more two songs ago. When are you guys done? <laughs> like, And not knowing what to do, I'm like, this has never happened. I don't know what to do. So I was like, oh, you know, we're, we have a couple more. We'll be done, and then we'll be on our way. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. So you did answer her. You did engage with the crazy and or drunk lady. For better or for worse, I guess. <laughs> what did she say to that? Ah, bullshit. Yeah, something like that. She just kind of mumbled something. was like, oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> there we go. We, we, went in, we went into our song, our next song. I think we got like to the first chorus of that song. 
and she what what song i want to say it was a social distortion cover okay uh it was a bad social distortion cover (laughs) (laughs) anyway she jumped up onto the stage the stage was like two steps and then there's a stage so she stepped up onto the first step and just got in my face and started yelling boo you guys are horrible this is terrible blah 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 (laughs) and the bouncers were just about ready to come and grab her (laughs) and i just stared straight i just stared straight past her. just ignored her and i pretended she wasn't there yeah and and eventually she was like okay well i'm done and she almost face planted man down down the stairs and she caught herself, but she happened to land right in front of our, like, little setup. We had, like, I had my guitar case propped open with all of our, like, we had some demo CDs and, like, a mailing list and a couple other little trinkets here and there. Yeah. And she just happened to stumble right in front of it. And she's staring at it for a good 10 or 15 seconds, just intently. <laughs> Deciding what to do. And then she grabbed <laughs> our demo CDs. And while they're in her hand, she took the mailing list, signed herself up, (laughs) and then she took the other pages underneath hers and then just walked out. And she went into the bathroom and was like, what the heck? And it was the men's bathroom, mind you. (laughs) So the the other pages had names on them. Yes. And we were making jokes like, oh, yeah, she's going to email our people and be like, yeah, we suck. We quit. So she takes off with all the other pages besides the front page of the the email sign up list and all your the merch you're trying to sell, all the CDs you're trying to sell. We just had some stickers and some free CDs. There was nothing we were selling. Okay. We were just like, yeah, it's our first gig. We'll have some freebies for people. Right. So yeah, and then she disappeared into the men's bathroom, and then we thought that was. <laughs> what were you thinking? You're like, uh, I mean, obviously it can't be good. Were you tempted to stop playing and go, or ask someone to go stop her, or what? I didn't even honestly know what to do. I was, it was just, it happened so fast. But you know when like things happen in slow motion. Yeah. It was kind of like that thing where I saw it happening, and I just, I was like, I got, I got to keep playing the song. I don't want to mess up. Got to keep playing the song. Got to keep going. Yeah, that makes sense. So I kept going, and I just figured, whatever. If I engage her, she's just going to be worse. There's, there's nothing I can do. So you guys finished the song. Finished the song. I thanked the crowd at the end of the set, and I was like, thanks again, guys, for, for dealing with us and our technical difficulties. I really appreciate you coming out, blah, blah, blah. We got one more for you, blah, blah, blah. And at that point, she came barreling out of the men's bathroom. Like running. Just, yeah, like hob- more like hobbling. <laughs> it was pretty comical. It's like something out of a cartoon. <laughs> And she had, like, TP stuck to her foot and everything. It was ridiculous. And uh, she started yelling something. I don't – no one could understand her at this point, what she was saying. She just started just yelling something incoherent. And um, I stopped. And I was like, I'm sorry. Did, did, did you have something to say or something? And she started mumbling. And I just unmuted my guitar and I just made a lot of fret noise and just, like, <laughs> like you know, just random stuff like that. And it just completely drowned her out. And she – she stopped, and I was like, oh, go ahead. Sorry, my bad. And she's like, you guys said you And I was like, you guys It's like, oh, I'm sorry. That was really rude. Did, go ahead. I shouldn't have interrupted you. And she did it, and I did it. And she keeps falling for it? Yeah. And she just puffed and hobbled out the door. And we're like, okay. And, like, it was a lot of our friends and family there at, at that show. So they were they were just like... 
what the hell is this freaking crazy bitch doing? Like, she's... <laughs> and we let her go. Finished our last... But she, when she came out, she didn't have anything anymore. No, she... She wasn't holding any of your stuff. Yeah. And at that, I didn't even notice that at all when she came out. Like, I didn't even put two and two together at that point. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're picking up <laughs> our stuff. I go in the bathroom to just, you know, freshen up a little bit. And um, I look in the trash can, and there are all of our demo CDs cracked in half. <laughs> like, sitting on top of the trash can. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, that's what happened. What a hag. <laughs> I see what happened. And it was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> First gig, I understand that lady was a bit <laughs> crazy. Okay. I know we were we weren't great, but we weren't that bad. Come on, lady. <laughs> wow, it's a good story, man. At least you didn't have a bunch of you know solid merch you were trying to sell, and that you were out a bunch of money you could have made or anything. But I mean, so it sounds like they were just like CDRs or something that you had done yourselves. Yeah, it was just a DIY thing, you know. It's almost worth a loss for the story, really. I mean, yeah, come on. But it it didn't end there. Oh, really? No, we, we were settling out. We settled out. We got to the parking lot in the back. We're loading our gear. And who do we see doing a 23-point turn <laughs> in a dilapidated Volvo sedan trying to just squeeze out of the space? This freaking lady. Now, is it even a tight spot or is it just just she's so drunk she can't even make an easy back out? It was both, actually. It like Knuckleheads is on Pacific Coast Highway, and it's just like there's just a lot of buildings. It's so the parking lot is actually behind, and it's like a really narrow one way road to the back of the bar, and then there's like five or six spaces behind that. Uh-huh. And she was trying to wedge her way, she was like perpendicular to the road. I don't know how she did it or what she did to get there, but she was like blocking the traffic in and out of onto pch and we're like what the fuck is this lady doing <laughs> excuse my like so did you run over and confront her yeah so i had a clear shot to like the side of her car and we hear like a, ah, ah, and i look in the back seat of her volvo and there's a cat with its paw pressed against the window trying to get out like you know clawing at the screen like help me help me <laughs> <laughs> the mouse oh, come out and grab her keys from her and like help her straighten out and like here you go get out of here <laughs> <laughs> that's the tale of the crazy cat lady <laughs> well that's a good story man I um, so that was just a couple years ago not even a couple years ago so you got time to top that story you're young strapping lad with more gigs ahead of you so call us back when you top that one thanks man I appreciate talking to you Sean Our next gig nightmare comes to us from Don Dawson of Putney, Vermont, and his story takes place the same year as my Slinky Fink fiasco. Only his meltdown was the polar opposite of mine in just about every way. It was the winter of 1988, Don's band, The Troublemakers, was playing during a huge blizzard at a Long Island club whose owners were so sketchy that Don declined to name the venue even though it went under years ago. We were a, a mildly respected 80s band on Long Island in, in the thick of the 80s. We had a management company, uh, First Class Management. They only had a couple of bands like us. So we used to play, you know, all the bigger rooms around the island, and, and we were very poppy. We did everything, you know, from U2 to, you know, just what you would do in the 80s. 
so they, the booking agency booked this gig and they called us and, you know, it's just on our schedule. We hand it out on all the cards and the posters and everything. But the thing that, that gets dodgy as, as it does for anybody in the winter is that the weather did looked really bleak. At what time of year was it exactly? Do you remember I, the month or? Like a February thing because snow was done. Like we were like, it's not going to snow in February on Long Island, right? It's sort of like the back end of winter for New York. But it didn't matter because it did. <laughs> so I got out of work early, as I did on gig nights. And we went down to, you know, to prep for loading. And it had already started to snow a little bit. The drummer, who was sort of the guy who dealt with management, said, you know, we really should check to see if this gig is still on. So rather than calling management, which is what he would normally do, he called the club owner. And the club owner lit him up. He was like, you know, you better show up. It wasn't opening night, but it had been like in their opening string of dates, you know, like they opened X amount of time. But I remember it being, you know, they had a lot of like grand opening banners and stuff like that. So it was a big deal for them, to, you know, to be open. Pretty much a brand new club. Relatively, yeah. And you guys hadn't been there before? We'd never played it. Nope. In fact, this was the only time we played it. But you hadn't even been there as a patron or anything? Nope. No, I'd never heard of the place before. We, we just got, you know, we were thrilled. Whenever you're in a band, you know, and you got a new club, you were thrilled because it was like... Yeah, you're expanding your pool, yeah. Yeah, new town, new audience, all those things. So we load up, you know, and we had um, we had a van, you know, a, a big van. So we all, and some of us had to take some of the stuff in our car. So we load everything up. And we go and we do our load in and we do sound check. And, and I remember in that window of time was really intense because, you know, we're all feeling a little anxious and then... We, we finish sound check. We go outside, and we're like, "Holy shit! There's so much snow!" Wait, so so was it snowing at all when you were traveling to the venue? Yes, it, it had already started. But when we in that short amount of time, which you know, like loading was like you know usually five thirty or six. He didn't start till nine or ten. And in that short amount of time that we set up, did sound check, came back outside, you know everything. There's there's six inches of snow on the ground, if not more, and it is snowing just not going to stop. And we just, we just like, there's no way anybody's coming to this. Why are we even here? This is just, at some point it becomes dangerous because you, right. you still got to pack all this stuff up and go back home. So it was not like to our best interest to stay, but because you're with a management company, you know, there's, there's also a downside to like just... Yeah, you got to fulfill your obligation. Right. So the drummer says, I'll go talk to the manager. And, we're, and of course, the other guys in the band are like, oh, great, because we don't have to deal with it. <laughs> he goes and talks to the owner and like, and the owner once again just loses his stuff. Like describe what he did. I'll make sure I'll talk to your management and I'll make sure you never, you're never booked again. You know, that kind of, those kind of threats that obviously affect a band right. who doesn't want to not get booked again. And it was it was worded strongly enough. It was a big dude. I, I remember he never. I never talked to him directly, but I remember the drummer coming back to us and he just kind of threw his hands up in the air and said, "Like you know, we're playing." So after sound check, we break down. Normally we'd go and get something to eat, and I don't recall if if we went out and got something to eat or something, or if we just hung around the club and drank. But the club, it in general, was very cold. So we started at like nine o'clock or something. And of course, it's us. It's just us and our sound guy. There's no one there. Our staff, us. That is it. <laughs> awesome. And and the funny thing was that the club was pretty cool. They'd spent a lot of money, and they made it look like a, they had kind of a city street vibe. There was a lot of chain link around. The the dance floor was completely done up in chain link. So there was like a, a you know bigger than a, much bigger than a boxing ring, but it was boxed in by chain link, and they had. 
street signs and stop signs. They had a big traffic light. You know, it, it had a vibe, a very specific vibe. So we play, you know, three quarters of our first set, and towards the end of a, the last song or two, the corner directly over the bar, the back corner of the bar, gives way, and snow starts pouring in over the bar. <laughs> you know, and like, so we've already been, we've already been admonished to the point, like, do we really want to say or do or help? You know, we just like, we're here, we're, this is our job, we're going to do this, you guys do deal with that. So we just plow through. Meanwhile, now the club owner comes out, and he's on fire. He starts yelling at the bartender to fix that. And the bartender's just like, what? Bartender slash roofer. Yeah, well, that's right. You know, it's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was in my skill set. You know, and he says, get out on that roof and figure out something, you know. And, like, we finish, dun, 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 dun. we finish our song. So, like, <laughs> now we get to watch this stupidity unfold. And there's still no one there. I think a local or two had shown up at that part. There was, like, two, two people sitting at the bar, you know. But now, as cold as it was before... It's not going to get any warmer because now there is a hole in the roof. Like how big is this hole? It looked like there was a seam of, of where it is against the wall. And this is, you know, this is playing on a hard memory. So the seam gave way. It was almost like there was like standing water or maybe ice on the roof. And it just kind of yeah. clunked in. So it, it, the, the hole is actually kind of not so much like a, like a bowling ball had fallen through the roof. So much as a lot of weight on the roof. And now everything, snow on the roof is just blowing down into the club, you know, and as it's gusting and blowing, it just looks like it's snowing on the back corner of the bar. <laughs> so the club owner and the bartender start arguing about how they're going to fix this. And uh, we just say, you know, we don't care. And we go back up on stage. And that's what we do. We, we go up and we start our set while they're getting, he got, I think he got a piece of lumber that was, you know, just long enough to reach up there, and they shimmed it so that the, the, the shoddy roof work just shimmed up, prevent the wind from like smoking down on top of the bar. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, the damage is already done. There was already, you know, wet was all over the inside of the place. And the, you know, and it was like we we did talk during the during the break. I do remember that and saying, so, do you want to go talk to him and ask him if we can just call it? And he's like, "F you! <laughs> I'm so not talking to that guy again." <laughs> we were like, okay, was, this was the drummer that you were trying to. Oh yeah, because we, we were like. Are we going to play another set to those, you know, the two guys sitting at the bar who don't give a shite? You know, it's like that's what we're going. That's what the gig is about. So why why was the drummer the spokesman? Was he the biggest one or what? No, no. It, it's the band started out originally. It was the drummer and the bass, the bass player. So he's sort of the de facto band leader. Yeah, and then the bass player, the bass player had left, and we got another bass player, so that he remained. You know, and he had tenure. He, well, he had tenure, and he was the one who found management. Gotcha. You know, and you have that contact. You, the Rolodex wins, you know, in the end of the game. Yeah. Okay, so you're like, okay, you're going to go talk to him. He's like, hell no. And so you just decided to start set two. We started set two. Halfway through set two, the two guys that were at the bar, or two guys that were in the bar, halfway through the second set, start a fight. And, and I have no idea what it's about. I just remember us, you know, normally when a fight breaks out in a crowded club, first thing the band does is stop. There's no particular reason to stop when there's only two people on the dance floor <laughs> beating each other senseless. And we've got... You're like, sweet, we have more entertainment. You know, and that's sad, but true. That's exactly what we did. <laughs> and uh, because of the chain link fence, it was almost like a cage match. <laughs> so I remember like one guy like, like kind of like 
he punched him or he threw him, and he like he went up against the you know the, the chain link, and it's swingy, so he hits it and he comes back, and they got you know they're back fighting, and, and it was you know stupid. And the bartender came out to break it up. It was like WWF wrestling or something. Any any bar stools or folded up chairs involved? No, because it's a, it was a that was the best thing about it. like the bar. It, it was a really nice stage. The stage set at the back of the club. High elevation, great production with, you know, you fly your own lights and they, they had some of their own. But it's, the dance floor was sort of like oblong in front of you. And then the bar was went to the back, to the back left. So it was separate away from the band and the dance floor. So glass, unless they brought the beer bottles with them, there'd be no glass on the floor. So the end result is, you know, we go into our, you know, our third set and it's midnight. And the, the, the club owner finally blows the whistle because he's, he's bleeding money at this point. It costs more in electricity at this point. Now, meanwhile, outside, there's over a foot of snow on the ground. Easy. So we had to, like, I remember us busting our way out of the club and carrying all the bins out. I don't even remember how much money we made, but I remember us shaking our heads going, this is one of those nights where you really earned your $7. Seven bucks, awesome. So so this hell-raising club owner actually cut your gig short just so he could start taking care of all the other shit that happened? Correct. And and the, the good, bad thing was that you don't have to, whenever, you know, with management, unlike a lot of times, you have to go to the club owner and you have to claim your money. And you, everybody knows that's the worst part of the night. But because we had management, we never had to worry about that. Management paid us and they took their slice. And then the deal was between management and the club. So we got paid our full boat, even though we didn't pay a we didn't play a full night. So see, he was a softy after all, man. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I would have paid him whatever the fee was. I mean, now looking back, twenty twenty, I would have I would have gladly paid him the fee so I could have stayed home and not go into that. I think I was driving like a like a Renault Encore, <laughs> you know. And I remember I had my amp and my guitar in the back seat. You know, that was any gig, my Renault Encore. It was horrible. It was a horrible little car. Hey, well, you got your story, though, man. You got on Conversations in the Key of Life with Premier Guitars, so that's something. That is most excellent. And I know the guitar player is very anxious. He goes, uh, make sure you say my name. <laughs> I said, I'll do it, dude. I'll do it. Bill Maynard. Bill Maynard. Shout out to you, man. Well, Don, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Oh, my pleasure. Next up, we've got David Fagan from Jersey City, New Jersey. David's story is a triumvirate of tragedy. His tale of lost opportunity and burned bridges began in 2012 when his band Snowball 37 was playing a showcase for two major labels and five indies in downtown Manhattan. Now, as a preface, David asked me to explain in advance that he's currently working through some speech difficulties caused by a diabetic coma he went into for six weeks last summer. In 2012, I was in a band with Snowball 37, and which I'm slowly putting back together these days, and with uh, different members. Back then, uh, I was submitting the, the music to a lot of labels, and we had a, a lot of uh, interest from several labels, Sony Music, smaller labels from uh, up north and all around the country. They were they were all there. Like four heads and ARs were there to watch the show. This is the showcase for your band to try and get signed. Yes, in New York City. 
And were they there just for you or several bands? Two, two bands, so. Okay. Well, that's pretty impressive. I, I think you said in the email, was an Interscope one of them? And, yep. I mean, these are big deal labels. So you guys show up and and walk us through what happened with your band. Like, you, you guys were, I'm guessing, a pretty well-rehearsed unit if you had this showcase opportunity. So I'm sure you showed up thinking everything was going to go fine. So... The band consisted of friends. My, my brother, Timothy, played drums and uh, had a friend uh, named uh, Greg who played lead guitar. And uh, my friend, Garrett, who's, was, he was 15 at the time, was, uh, was on bass to fill in. And he was all right. He was good, nervous, as, as the band was. So the, the bass player you said was 15. Yes, Wow, no pressure. <laughs> oh, no. These reps from Interscope, Sony, whatever the labels were. I can't remember the ones you mentioned in the email, but holy moly. Yeah. 15 years old and to be doing a showcase for them, that's that's some pressure. Yes, it was, but it's fine because he, he caved, but I, I forgive him. It's, it's fine. No problem. But the other guys, my brother and my friend Greg, uh, should not have caved. They, they were drinking and... Just trying to relax. Uh, this is beforehand they're drinking? Yes. Okay. And uh, <laughs> once they were on stage, they, they drank a little bit too. So Was there a point at which you were watching them watching them, and you're like, uh, okay, guys, that's enough? Uh, yeah. Did you ever say that? Yes, uh, several times. And what did they say? Oh, I'm just nervous. I'll, 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 I'll be fine. I'll get over it. We'll be good in a sense. Sneak a few more sips when you turn your back? Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? Well, why not is because we lost it. <laughs> yeah, why not? There's these, yeah, this is a huge opportunity. So, okay, so you you, you have kind of, you're, you're nervous because you see your bandmates drinking more than you think they should. And at what point did things actually start to go south? The first song went shaky, but it was... Probably the best of the of the set. So I felt good, and we finished right away uh, from the intro, which uh, Greg played, and he was he was drunk, of course. He screwed it up, I played it wrong actually, and I just just looked at him and said, "Okay, whatever, it's fine." Now, did, now sorry to interrupt, okay. and sorry to laugh, by the way, because this is tragic. It's but. It's funny. At some point, I guess laughing at it is part of the healing, right? Yes, of course. But did you say that you were singing and playing rhythm guitar? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you're up there at the mic. You're calling the shots because, I mean, you know, the singer is usually kind of the one being the band leader, at least on stage. Okay. So he plays the intro to the second song you said, and it was wrong, but you just rolled with it and kept going? Yep. That's it. And it was, it was okay. It was okay because we made it through it somewhat, and uh, the solo was not good. But okay, no problem. And when you say not good, was it just like not hitting the notes, or just totally bad timing, or uh, both? Actually, everything. <laughs> no timing whatsoever. And I, I tried so hard not to, to focus on the mistakes as much as just on the audience, which is. Um, many people, and, and some important ones too. Yeah, family, friends, you know. 
God, the hardest part, well, not the hardest part, what, but one of the hard things of, in a situation like that, of course, whether it's some, a bandmate or yourself, is not letting your face, your facial expression uh, betray how you're really feeling inside, yeah. right? That's it. And I'm, I'm used to, I was used to that. I mean, mistakes and whatnot. So I, I just joked about it and people laughed and was like, that's good. If you're laughing and you're not booing, not leaving, that's more important. So, so this is after the second song. Yes, that's it. What did you say? Like, how did you joke about it? That's tough to keep, you know, keep your game face on or however you want to say it. And yeah. When you want to go over and like, and just choke somebody. <laughs> So what did you say to sort of try to lighten the mood to the crowd? I just, I just essentially just joked about it. I said, you know, sorry about that. We're Snowball 37 and we make mistakes. So <laughs> and not always, but from time to time. And, you know, people liked, liked it. And I said, <sighs> luckily, we're okay. So the third song was, I remember, just completely fell flat. Uh, my guitar player put the guitar down and went off stage. This is the lead guitar player who had screwed up in the previous song? Yep, that's it. He just takes off his guitar and walks away? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so Jeez. he went to uh, get some water and okay. came back. My bass player put the bass down and he just set it against the drum riser. Greg came, came back, picked up the bass. And tried to play it and drop it. <laughs> oh my god! The strap fell off and just he just dropped it. And it's like, is the volume still on? And it's like, yep, oh yep. God, man. <laughs> like, was he so drunk he didn't know which instrument was his? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I I'll assume yes because I forgave him for that. But you're like, man, it's a little late for the water to dilute the the alcohol. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> Man, how it, it gets worse, but I want to say, like, how could it get worse? But well, it does. <laughs> okay, so what happens next? We started the next song. I started that one by myself and, and guitar. So we started. It was good. And went into it. My brother, the drummer, was drunk. He dropped his stick. No biggie. Should be able to describe it again. Yeah. Dropped his stick. Went to pick it up. And fell off the his uh, throne, his, his stool. So I, I, I looked back and said, just keep playing. So I just played the song by myself. Because, you know, two of the guys are sitting on, on, the, on the stage. And the drummer's on the, the floor. Just, just, I don't know what he was doing, but I just, just pictured him in my head and just like, Oh God, this is this is torture. Oh man. So the bass player came back too, but he's not playing. No, he's not, no. So you got three bandmates just sitting there. Yep, that's it. So I finished the song <laughs> and we I apologize again and you know, people people laugh and and but people were starting to starting to really just get tired and, and start started leaving. So I started the next song, which the lead, lead player should have started. My brother got, got behind the, the drums again. It went, went okay till the midsection. And 
dropped the sticks again, both of them. And <laughs> oh man, this is like it sounds like some ridiculous skit on Saturday Night Live or Mad TV or something. Unfortunately, I can't remember it that way. <laughs> right. I mean, it sounds so like like if you heard someone like, "Come on, no one would be that." Hell yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you start that one yourself, yeah. and it went okay. My drummer got back into it, and he just he just couldn't couldn't handle it. So essentially, I just told told him, "Just finish. You're done. Get off the stage. Just leave. Yeah, just just leave. You're not driving home. We'll we'll came together. Go sit at the bar. Yeah, that's it." And he did so, and had some more. So, <laughs> what about the other two guys? Did you kick them off too? No, no, no. Uh, the the bass player was just sitting on the edges edges the, the stage, and the guitarist was already gone. So just me and the bass player on the, the floor. So <laughs> I can't imagine why you're trying to assemble this band with different people now, Dave. <laughs> I, I just love it. You know, I'm I'm used to it. Not this bad, but I'm definitely used to it, and I just love it so much. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So, so how did this gig end up? Well, the room was pretty much empty at that point. So I, I think I ended three songs short of the, the full set. Mm -hmm. And I just said, we we're just nervous tonight, and, you know, sorry about that, and blah, blah, blah. Did you know who, who the label reps were? Like, like you could, you knew which people in the crowd were reps. Yes, yeah. And were they still there by the end when you finished three songs short? <laughs> two, two of the four left already. So, okay, so half of them stuck around. Yep. And uh, one of them was the, the rep for the label in Syracuse. He came up to me. He said he sounded good, did a good job with all of his mistakes, and uh, but get a get a better band. Just get a get a better band, and I said, "Thank you." Or go to AA. Have your bandmates go to AA. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it. Oh man! And I, I was so embarrassed, obviously, and I didn't play again for a couple of months because I just I couldn't couldn't take it. Just having flashbacks and trying to keep yourself from killing someone. Yeah, that's it. I'm I'm a lover, not a fighter. I would never advocate violence, but that must have been. <laughs> Very trying to not. Uh, what did you say to the guys after or when they sobered up? I went to I went to them after the show and just I shook my 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 head. My parents were were there too, and I I apologized and I said no 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 you did nothing wrong. I said yeah I did. Had had them come and play. So and it's, it's too bad your parents didn't go like haul your brother off by his ear or something, huh? No, I know. And they <laughs> pull him out from behind the kit. Yeah. <laughs> come here, you. I wish. <laughs> go to your room. <laughs> I definitely wish, but you know. So and it's got to be a sensitive subject and uh, how did you recover from this? Like it's got to be tough to you don't want to like hate anyone or I assume you don't. Most of us don't. Most of us just want to get along with people and these guys were your friends, I'm assuming. Yep. So, like, how do you re how do you salvage whatever you had when something so not just embarrassing? Th this wasn't just a gig that sucked. Humiliation. This wasn't just a this wasn't just a gig where everyone there was like this galactic convergence of bad luck. Yeah. Oh. 
I mean, you guys had an opportunity times four. Yes. With these label reps. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it was obliterated by the indulgence of yeah. your bandmates. Like, that's that's a lot harder to get beyond than just, oh, he had a shitty gig. Yeah. That's it. So, so w- w- even though you've told us, I think, about the entire worst gig ever for you, but... I really am curious, like, how did you, did you mend things after that? Or was it just like, that's where some of you parted ways and never spoke again? Um, well, I never spoke to uh, Greg again after that. I, I kicked him out, apologized. I said, I'm sorry, but I, I can't do this anymore. And kicked him out. Um, the bass player, I still talk to these days. His, his father is a good, good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're, we're okay with that, but. And he was 15. I mean, he was a minor. So, yeah, he's kind of excused, huh? Yes, of course. And yeah, never a problem. But um, my brother, we we don't talk much these days because um, because I kicked him out. So that whole gig really was, uh, it's not, you guys were pretty good before that. But that whole thing just. Yep, that's it. Oh, that's really sad. That's pro- That's got to be. The opportunity with the labels, that's one thing. But the saddest part has got to be that you and your brother, like, had this falling out and this parting of ways. And, like, I hope you guys can can mend that sometime because... Uh, we will at some point because, you know, it's, it's been like that for a few years, obviously, so four, four years now. And I've seen him uh, a couple times and we talk a, a bit, you know, small talk. But there's still some heat there. Yeah, I understand, man. It's got to be like lingering there behind the scenes of whatever small talk you're trying to make. Like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> especially, especially if there was no effort to apologize or own up to it or whatever. But I was very good about that. Didn't scream and yell. Didn't hit anyone, obviously. And uh, I just... Let them know I was I was mad and very upset because I worked many years to get that and it just bombed. So yeah, jeez. Well, um, all my best to you, Dave, in moving on from man. You've had some challenges with your diabetes and the coma and the therapy you're going through. So. Stick with that and all our best to you from Premier Guitar. And I, I hope um, whatever guitar and music abilities may have suffered from that come back just like everything else. So play, play every day, though. and Getting, getting uh, back to normal. By summer, I should be almost there. Awesome. Thank you, David, for sharing this. Thank you, Sean. And uh, yeah, best of luck. Take care. All right, our last nightmare gig story comes from Dominic von Riedemann from Toronto. Dominic's story takes place in 2007 in Hamilton, Ontario with his band The Kindly Ones, a trio that included his wife, Sarah. They were playing at the brand new Red Light Lounge, a club whose name turned out to be a lot more literal than anyone would have guessed. 
All right, so so your agent he booked us into the Red Light Lounge, and he talked us up about. He talked it up to us. He said, "Yeah, it's a great club. I booked other bands in there. They they treat you great. You know, you're you're going to have a great time." So I'm like, "Okay, sure. What's the worst that could happen?" <laughs> so we go there, and uh, it was myself and my wife in the in one car, and uh, our, our drummer and our sound man. Uh, in the other car, we get there on time. First thing we see walking into the club is about 16 monitors placed all over the club, and they are showing a non-stop loop of porn. Basically, a whole bunch of porn movies with all the annoying plot bits taken out. <laughs> okay. This thing did not repeat once the entire night. Not that I was looking, of course. Because <laughs> of course not. Of course not. So you said 16 monitors surrounding yeah. the stage playing porn. Yeah, nothing distracting about that. Exactly. Were they all playing the same? Yeah, it was all all playing the same thing. So, yeah, you could not. <laughs> you, there's literally a place you could not look where, where you weren't seeing what was going on. Your wife's name again? What is, what's your uh, name? Sarah. Sarah. What was yeah. Sarah's reaction? <laughs> I think she just ignored it. <laughs> she was like, okay, we're here. Let's play. We're going to get paid. Yeah, just, uh, yeah, she, she, she was just pretending it wasn't happening. I imagine when you walked into the club and at whatever point you became cognizant of these monitors playing mm -hmm. skin flicks, that did you catch her, the look on her face when she realized what was going on? Um, yeah, it was, it kind of, it was very stoic. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> didn't want to blow the gig. Yeah, it's professional. She didn't want to. Exactly. We're going to be pro. Let's not blow the gig. You're just going to be calm, relaxed. You know, this isn't, uh, you know, we're, we're just here for one night. That's it. And, uh, so yeah, so we meet the manager. She's very friendly. They get, they, they actually gave us free dinner. So that was cool. And uh, then we met the owner, and the owner looked like the stereotypical porn producer. <laughs> Black silk shirt, you know, buttoned down, showing off the hairy chest, gold chains, gold rings, greased, greased back hair. And uh, he, he was telling us all about his plans for the neighborhood, that he was going to have like a a sex shop down the way and uh he was gonna like have have movie studios and stuff like this so yeah he was he was definitely planning his little empire here very enterprising a very enterprising <laughs> guy and and then the, the other thing we noticed while we we're having dinner was there were about three women over at one table and they were sitting around they're obvious you know from the look of them they were looked like employees but they weren't doing anything and we're like, okay, well, maybe maybe the place is going to get busier. You know, they're waitresses. They're just, you know, hanging out because it's not that, not much going on right now. Now, this is before you set up or this is just right when you got there? Yeah, we set up, we sound check, we're grabbing dinner. And and this is when I noticed these three women who are, who are just sitting around. They're obviously employees of the bar. And one of them caught my eye. Because she was had yellow eyes, bad skin, and she was wearing long sleeves in the middle of summer. And at that point, I'm putting two and two together and going, okay. 
interesting. Let's just keep an eye on the gear, just in case. <laughs> so we set up, we sound checked, everything's fine. I went down to use the bathroom. Uh, the bathroom was downstairs, and coming out, I noticed this play, this uh, room that was called the VIP lounge had had the sign over the door. The door was open. Uh huh. <laughs> so. Of course, I'm like, okay, what's a VIP lounge? So I just sort of, you know, vaguely peer around the door, and I noticed this one woman who had the, uh, you know, the, the, the woman who had caught my eye earlier. She was on her knees in front of a patron of the bar. Hmm. Not shining his shoes. Yeah. Yeah, we read you loud and clear. <laughs> so... I'm like, red light lounge. And you're like, May- hey, maybe shut the door? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I don't know. Is there a lock on this thing? Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to sneak away. <laughs> Pretend I, you know, be very, very quiet. Probably could have taken a marching band through there and they wouldn't have noticed, but that's another story. <laughs> All right. So you, so you head back upstairs. And I get up upstairs and it's like, all right, guys, just just so you know, this is what's going on here. You know, just be pro. Let's play the gig. Just let it go. So we play our three sets. Everything's going. Everything's going fine. I mean, the place is the place is quite busy. The girls were quite busy. <laughs> yeah, they're they're sort of you know they're they're mingling and occasionally disappearing with patrons and for for certain periods of time. And so when you heard the name Red Light Lounge, none of this crossed your mind as like hey i wonder if this place i wonder if they're just being cheeky about it they're just trying exactly. to be edgy with a name edgy with a name trying to stand out apparently it was a fairly new bar so yeah they they want to you know they want to get attention i mean you would think they i mean it is illegal up there right <laughs> up there, Toronto. yeah oh yeah <laughs> you would think they'd be like I don't know, maybe get the bar established and be a little more discreet before they're just flaunting the illegal activities. But Yeah, I don't know how what they had done to cover their tails, but it was pretty obvious what was going on. Okay, so you get through three sets. Get through three sets, and it's getting towards, I mean, we always play until closing time. That's just a standard thing. So we wrap it up, and I look for the manager because I want to get paid. And uh, she says, well, the owner's got the money. And I don't know where he is right now. So I'm like, oh, great. Because it's 2 a.m. You know, I got a two-hour drive to get home. I'm not happy about this. So I'm like, okay, is, do you know where he is? No idea. Later on, I found out he was in the DJ's van um, giving uh, advanced uh, technical lessons to one of the three girls. He's an employer who cares about his... His employees. Very much so. So that means you have to wait around longer? You're... Exactly. Got to wait around longer for this guy to, to get finished, whatever the hell he's doing, so we can get paid and get out of here. You know, so we're, 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 putting this stuff, we're putting our gear in the car. At that moment, I notice a, uh, about three or four guys walking in, and they're all fairly big guys. They're all dressed identically in black, black with gold uh, pinstriped uh, track suits. <laughs> I don't know why 
probably because I watched this movie too much, but it, it just makes me think of the uh, guys in Big Lebowski, the Germans, the nihilists. <laughs> Pretty close. Pretty close. But yeah, they're all dressed identically, which, of course, yeah, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> which point, suddenly, the owner shows up, and he takes these guys into the kitchen, and he's talking with them for quite a long time. And I'm sitting there, you know, and of course, we want to go home. I'm tired. I'm tired. We played three full sets. It's, you know, after it's getting on two 30 in the morning, you know, it's like, okay, it's been a long day. Yeah. So I could see into the, the, they had a glass uh, door to the kitchen and the bouncer, this big black guy, uh, who I'd made friends with, uh, was sort of standing by there watching. And I went over to the bouncer and I said, and I said, listen, buddy, explain the situation. It's like, we got to get home. You know, is there any way that I can like pull this guy out of this meeting so we can get paid? At which point the bouncer looks at me with like these eyes of terror and says, I don't want to go in there. So he knows who these dudes are. And he is scared, dot, dot, dotless. So, so at which point I'm immediate, I grab my cell phone, I'm immediately on the horn to my booking agent, I'm, I'm explaining what's going on, and he's going like, yeah, shit's going down. I told him the whole story. So he's talking me down, saying, listen, I've, I've booked about five or six other bands in here, I've had no problems, uh, but keep me informed, let me know what's going on. So I go back in, still twiddling our thumbs. Finally, it's about 3.15 in the morning. And the manager, she comes up to me and says, okay, we've got, uh, I've got your money. It's like, finally, we can get out of here. So we go, in, we go into her office, uh, which is through the kitchen. The, the, the guys in the matching track suits have taken off. And so she says, listen, I'm really sorry. We can only pay you 100 bucks now, uh, and I'll cut you a check. Awesome. Yeah. hundred bucks. Well worth it, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and of course I've always insisted on being paid cash. Just, you know, that's just one of my things. And so of course I'm like, you know, okay, another, yet another red flag to add to the collection. Right. But I, at that point I just, I just wanted to get home. So I'm like, okay, you know what? Give me the hundred bucks and the check. Fine. So she, so she gives me the money. She's writing the checks. She's saying, oh yeah, you know, you guys were really great. I had a wonderful time tonight. We'd love to have you back here, you know, as soon as possible. In my head, I'm going, no way in hell. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I want to be professional. I'm just saying, well, you know, we'll talk to, uh, you know, call, call my agent and we'll, uh, we'll try and set something up. Very diplomatic. And, uh, all right, being extremely diplomatic. And all, all the while in my head, I'm you know, going to be like my next phone call. The agent is like, whatever you do, do not put us back in this <laughs> venue ever again. So she's just handing me the check when these three other guys walk in. Not in matching tracksuits. No, no. <laughs> these guys are in jeans and dark t-shirts, um, you know, bristle haircuts. The shortest one is about six foot four, and they look like they live on a diet of raw meat and steroids. <laughs> um I've got a, my, my cousin's best friend is in the SAS, the British Special Air Service. 
basically they're the the elite uh i, I guess I, I guess the equivalent would be the, green the, the rangers green berets yeah okay anyways um yeah these guys could give him scary lessons these guys are genuinely terrifying <laughs> so they're they're looking for the owner as well and they, they walk into the office when you're getting your check i'm getting the check they walk in you know three big guys doing a very good job of looming and I'm guessing there's only one exit. Not a good place to be trapped. No, no. Very, very scary. So I'm just, so she's saying, I don't know where the owner is. I'm just going, I'm just going to be quietly inconspicuous and slide out, you know, hoping <laughs> that they don't suddenly decide that to start questioning me. You're like, I don't know her. I don't know the boss. <laughs> exactly. I'm just walking out of here. Anyways, I get out into the main bar, and it looks like the Titanic just going down. Everybody is just shooting for the exits. So it, so the, the club itself was actually still busy before you went into the office? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there, there were still the employees and, and a couple of the other, a couple of hangers on, like some friends of the employees and stuff like that still hanging out. Even though it was like still, th- it was at three three fifteen in the morning. Yeah. So you know, n- now they're just they are just booting it out of there. You know, forgetting about not showing any fear. They're they're putting as much distance between this place as possible. So I'm just like going okay. So I run to my car. Um, my my drummer, who's with the sound man, he's already burning rubber out of the out of the parking lot. Uh I guess they thought, saw these three guys and just went, hell no. <laughs> so my sound man was calling us two or three times while we're on our way. Uh, we're trying to get back to the highway. And he's like, did you get out of there? Is anybody following you? Are you safe? You know, this is how scared they are. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> just like, so yeah, so we get home. It's like, okay, you know, here's the money. You know, let's never, ever speak of this again. Oh, man. So are you thinking those three guys were uh, mafia or? Um, they were definitely, they were definitely, uh, they were, they were muscle of some kind. And whatever it was, I did not want to know anything more about them. Because, yeah, they were genuine. These guys, these were genuinely terrifying. So you made it out of there with all your body parts, all your gear, but... Yeah, we made it out of there, all our body parts, all our gear, and, yeah, broke several speed limits. Two weeks later, our booking agent calls me, and he is apologizing up and down because he didn't believe me. He he was he was he was like okay yeah these guys are just little you know just something scared them and whatever yeah you wimps he had booked another band in there and they had confirmed everything we had said that about this place being a bordello yeah because uh, apparently the lead singer of this other band he had nineteen year old girlfriend who was apparently very innocent. And she had done the same thing I did. Peeked into the VIP lounge, you mean? Taken a look into the VIP lounge after going to the bathroom and had gotten an education. Oh, God. Street smarts, man. Street smarts. (laughs) Street smarts, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, apparently at this point, um, the club had suddenly shut down. This other band had been paid via check. The check had bounced. Our check had also bounced. Uh, the employees' last paychecks had also bounced. 
the owner had disappeared, and it turned out he had owed uh, more than $80,000 to various criminal organizations, including the Hells Angels. So I think those that's what the last group of guys they were from. Uh. Yeah. Um, so he had disappeared. Nobody knew where he was. I suspect that he is currently entertaining the fishes down at the bottom of Lake Ontario. Oh man! <laughs> wow, that that's that's quite a story, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you made it out alive. That all of you guys made it out alive, because I mean, I've heard of less scary stories where people, you know, have to leave gear behind or whatever. But no, this was yeah. Like I'm, I'm amazed we made it out with everything, because. Uh, yeah, I had just visions of, of suddenly the guy saying, okay, we need our money somehow, we're taking your gear. Or your kneecaps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, just because we just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and, you know, nothing we could do about it. You know, just, yeah, because they, they were that frightening. Oh, God, man. Well, so that's, that's I think, the, that's the scariest, uh, that's the scariest gig I've, I've ever played. That's that's a, that's a doozy, man. Thanks for sharing it. You're most welcome. I'm Sean Hammond, and you've been listening to Conversations in the Key of Life, the premier guitar podcast that talks to you about your musical journeys. Thanks for joining us.